Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're not discussing a great character. We're talking about the comic book artists that mean something to us. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest Mav. Welcome back, Mav. Hey there. I guess I should say Chris Maverick, but it's just going to be Oh, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I always, when I do my intro, I say, hello, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. Uh, It's fine. (laughs) And uh, producer Andrew will be joining us for this discussion about comic book artists that mean something to us. So welcome, Andrew. What inspired this episode was the sad passing of two legends of the comic book industry who mean so much to um, where the industry is today, uh, where where the artistic styles are today, but also like mean a lot to fans who really have connected with their work across decades that they were were drawing some of the most famous uh, comic book characters and some of the, the most significant runs from Marvel and DC Comics. That is uh, George Perez and Neil Adams uh, recently passed away. So we're going to talk about them first, and then we're just going to kind of go with like I guess a pseudo draft, but it's not really where we're each just going to take a moment to talk about a comic book artist that means a lot to us. And we left it completely open-ended what that means, <laughs> you know, like that significance could be, I recognize this person's historical significance for uh, transforming the way comic book storytelling is done, or this is the artist of one of my favorite runs, <laughs> you know, and, that, and that's it. Uh, so, so, so it's uh, completely open-ended what that's going to mean. We'll just have some, some discussion after each one, but to open things up, um, and these are visual artists. About... These are not writers. These are yeah. these are people who draw comics. Mm-hmm. Well, or at least all yes. mine were. Although some of them, you know, may do both. Might, they do, might also do double write. duty. Yeah, yeah. Yes. double duty is is on the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit briefly though about George Perez first, and then we'll talk a little bit Neil Adams, and then we'll go through that pseudo draft style. So, uh, Mav, do you want to share with our listeners who George Perez is and why he's, if he matters? If you close to your eyes. And you imagine a whole bunch of comic book characters fighting every time you've ever seen that. George Perez invented that. That's George Perez. (laughs) George Perez is like if you imagine a poster of the Avengers fighting the Justice League or the Avengers fighting themselves or the Justice League fighting themselves or the Teen Titans or anything. He is um, he specialized in giant two page spreads of characters going uh, going at it. Um, And he was head to head action. Yes, Um, he was amazing at that. And also, he was just a good, brilliantly gifted artist. Um, aside from that, and um, I've met George on many, many occasions. Just a delightful human being. Um, George Perez was a, a, a fixture on the comic book circuit on this side of the country. So uh, every time I worked at Pittsburgh Comic Con, he would be there. And um, there is no person of any level of comic book fandom or fame that George Perez did not have time for. I've, I've watched him have half an hour conversations with just random, you know, four year olds to 80 year olds. Um, one of my favorite things about Perez, even aside from his art style is, um, well, actually I should say um, he is the artist on um, crisis. Uh, DC's um, one of DC's most important books, the crisis on infant nurse, George Perez. Um, so he is, um, he drew the famous picture again if you've got a million people um <laughs> like in a, a million people on one cover that was drawn by george perez he drew the um the picture of superman holding supergirl in the la, la piedra uh, stance um 
And um, every time George Perez met a girl dressed as Supergirl at a comic book convention, he'd take a picture with her just holding her body <laughs> like, and yelling up at the sky like he's Superman. There, You can just find them online. They are amazing. Just like search for George Perez Supergirl and look and, and um, George Perez Supergirl cosplay and do a Google image search. And it's amazing. It's just this old man carrying people just for this picture he's taken a million shots of it but he is um he is an artist who is gifted and known for just doing these amazing battle scenes uh wayne my my co-worker uh, my co-host on on box pop he tells a story because we, we mentioned him when he died um he was at artist alley and he was just kind of george press is just wandering around talking to again far less and less famous people than him and he sees a guy and he's just teasing he's like oh it's a hell of a hell of a spread there, and and the guy goes, yeah, twenty nine characters, and Perez looks at him and goes, amateur. <laughs> <laughs> Only twenty nine. Only twenty nine. Yeah, it's just a, so delightful human being, wonderful yeah. guy. And he had major runs on Teen Titans, on mm-hmm. on big crossovers. Uh, mm-hmm. So you mentioned Crisis on Earth, Wonder Woman, uh, Avengers, and then. This is a comic that's almost become mythical because it was so hard to get. But but Marvel and DC got along at one point um, well enough to do a Justice League Avengers crossover um, that when it was announced that um, Perez was was ailing, um, they were able to rush like a a for charity reprint of that in. Cause it's, it's so hard to get because Marvel and DC don't get along very well mm-hmm. as publishing companies now. And so you couldn't get the right. So unless you have the original issues, it's really hard to get Which that. I do. But those, those <laughs> I, I have them as well. I wrote an essay on them for, uh, oh, for wonderful. ages of Avengers, but the, the covers of those, like I will still sometimes just pull them down and look at the covers and the way that he rendered the action of, um, like all of the Justice League and all the Avengers fighting, but you could your eye can follow these. Like he gave you through lines across these two dozen characters mm-hmm. uh, that make it all make perfect sense and gives you a sense of both time and motion in a way that so many um, of those posed group shots feel static. Mm-hmm. And that's I, I think one of the like most amazing things about George is Perez one. is that there's always a sense of, of motion and also like forward moment, like, like literally through time, mm-hmm. like your eye goes across this image and it's following. Uh, I mean, often for, for that one, I can think of it's, it's like a uh, flash, um, you know, you're following the flash speed line. And as you see where his speed line is going, you, you pop in on the action of a mm-hmm. DC character fighting a Marvel character through the whole page. And it's he tells just a story with the page. It's amazing. Such brilliant rendering. But then also like with those, his, his runs on team books, like he is so skilled also at, uh, the page layout and, and 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 like those small moments of like characters talking to each other. It's not all just the big action. Uh, and there's so many artists who could be amazing at like the covers, cover images or amazing at, uh, you know, the two page spread or amazing at uh, like the, the the facial interactions of, of like uh, a really intimate scene. And he he could just do it all. <laughs> and and he bounced between the two companies and his work was always, always just felt detailed and and uh, like choosing deliberateness in how I'm going to tell the story on this page. Mm-hmm. Andrew, do you have any thoughts on George Perez? He he's got one of the like classic styles mm-hmm. that once I know, like once I know it's it's him, it makes perfect sense, right? Like he's a little got bit of shading of, on the side of the mm-hmm. face, right? And the yeah. way he draws hair curls, I it always stands yes, out for me. I was like, gonna the, the hair curls is is. <laughs> actually like the perfect thing to bring up like the way he he illustrates the hair but Mm -hmm. then um 
like he's just got something where he has a gift for creating an iconic image like that crisis image um, or the the Teen Titans cover. Um, that's like a classic where they're spread out and you have people like up in the sky, you have people on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, you have this dynamic pose, but it's action, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and it's just I, there's something there's something about it. You know, he's he's one of those artists where there's something about it, even though I wouldn't be able to say that he's like got a particular school or style that's notably different from anyone else. There's some some sort of element that's different from from anybody else. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right. Like, I can still remember in his Avengers run, like just stopping and looking at an image and saying, like, I think he drew every single hair on Scarlet Witch's head. <laughs> like, yeah, just and, and the way he rendered all like all the curls I'm like, oh, that's just a lot of care and detail. Uh, went into this and it's just like, probably it was like a small panel like the, in my head it's a small panel inset on a corner it wasn't even like the big page you know <laughs> panel. it was just like no oh, look at that that's so much work when it went into this and that's what i think of and um just great crisp storytelling uh really identifiable style um that it, it feels unique but it also um sometimes when artists like develop their style it almost feels like they're reacting against like the major trends that are going on because mm-hmm. they want to be so distinct. I think there's something about him that just like, it always fits. It doesn't feel like it's pushing against. It always just fits mm-hmm. with, with it. Um, and so, uh, you know, very sad that we lost him, but he has had such an impact on the comic book industry and some of the most iconic visuals that, that comic book fans are going to pull up. But then the way those visuals also end up getting adapted and moved into other media, like there's lots mm-hmm. of things that it's kind of like, Oh, that's actually that's an homage mm-hmm. to, to a George yeah. Perez panel or, it, or like, cover image. if, if, if you were going to get, you know, the, the top, and I don't know how many we'd really be talking about the top 1000 comic book images, he would have three or four of them probably. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, which, yeah, which is, which is a, a significant probably, proportion. I think in the top hundred, he probably has. Yeah. 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 Maybe, <laughs> maybe the top hundred, but I mean, there's a lot of comic book images. Yeah, <laughs> there are. The, um, um, but the thing but some of the most iconic of, stuff is his. Yeah, the thing that I always think of is um, in the movie Avengers Endgame, like when you're talking to comic book fans, like people like no one decided this, just talking to people, people, uh, I would hear people say, so, you know, the Perez scene at the end, <laughs> like because of the battle, at the, that mm-hmm. end battle where where they all, you know, the Avengers are all on one side and Thanos's minions are on the other side. And it's like, you know, and they say Avengers assemble and everybody runs at each other. That's just a George Perez moment, and there's no other way to think of it other than that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like no, really he, he had nothing to do with it because it's a movie. Yeah. But that's how yeah. I see it. It's like, oh, this is an homage to George Perez, you know? Because yeah. look, there's Giant Man doing his Giant Man thing, and you mm-hmm. know, it's like oh, all the amazing. way in the back. Yeah. So, oh, oh, look at this! Spider Man is swinging from Thor's hammer. That's awesome. You know, things like that. Uh huh. Yeah, that, that definitely captures it as well. And we mm-hmm. also, um, the other artist that we we mentioned that had recently passed uh, is is Neil Adams, who is really significant for creators' rights. And yes, um, like historically, I'll just say, comic industry has not treated its workers very well. No. <laughs> A lot of work for higher contracts that mean there is no compensation if a character you create uh, takes off or if a story you write or draw keeps getting reprinted forever, you, it might not matter to you financially. Um, or they or, make a million dollar movie or, over, out of it. <laughs> or do you get to own the original artwork that you created? And, you do now. So Neil Adams really yeah, is 
is is key for a lot of the changes. I mean, the industry is still not great. I am not trying to praise the industry for where it is. But when you look back to where it was before Neil Adams started agitating, um, and especially agitating specifically for Golden Age creators, who mm-hmm. um, we don't have superheroes without some of these creators, and they were being forgotten and uh you know the industry had just kind of moved on uh so jerry siegel and joe schuster it's really neil adams that ensures that it always says superman was created by jerry siegel and joe schuster mm-hmm. and that his heirs uh well well they at later in their life and their heirs have been more taken care of than was going to be happening um before him so super important on that that side of things but also um a really transformative artist in his own right and when i think of Neil Adams, the way that you you mentioned immediately, Mav, that with Perez, it's it's giant group shots. When I think of mm-hmm. Neil Adams, it's like dynamic, it's dynamic solo shots, right? <laughs> yeah. Like just the energy it's, it's and emotion <laughs> of of Batman. <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, and it's uh, he, he has a really long career. When like what is the span of his career? Um, like it's, really, he's it's coming huge. on. Yeah, he kind of like he straddles the ages, basically. Yeah, so like on his Wikipedia page, like his early work, well, like before he's doing it, like major superhero stuff, is in the late fifties. Sixties, oh, fifties, yeah. yeah. And then really the the sixties, and I think his big splash is going to be in the Silver Age, um, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in that. Um, but even I remember, uh, like how different it is to see his art compared to what was happening at the time. Um, when I was rereading all the original X Men, mm-hmm. um, comics, uh, when I was in in college working on my dissertation, um, after Jack Kirby, uh, co creates the X Men, and there's definitely dynamism dynamism to his art there's some artists who like worked all through the silver age but their stuff is just not as electric or um or or, like you don't look back and think about them and then neil adams came and did like a three issue run of Mm x-men like right before they go into reprints and i remember like just turning the page and i like i I immediately like oh that's neil adams but also it was like this is so much better (laughs) than what i have been reading (laughs) uh just so inventive in the camera angle quote unquote you know for for where he's going to position like the audience view uh on the panel how he's going to do things so there's um a page i remember still where uh sauron who's this pterodactyl that the x-men are fighting uh named shamelessly after the lord of the rings villain um but there's a, a big spread of sauron with like his wings extended and he turned the the ridges in the rings like in between the the bones of the wings into individual panels that gave a recap of what happened like this is the start of one mm-hmm. one comic and then inside of the wings of sauron on the splash page he recaps what happened in the previous issue and it's just such I a have, unique I choice i found i have found that image yeah it's such a unique that choice compared to amazing what was happening before <laughs> and it just feels like oh we're entering a new age <laughs> it's really what it, what it was like like this is this is it felt so modern um and, and it is because like everyone is reacting to Adams from here on out. It's like oh we can't just do kind of mm-hmm. you know stayed figures statically looking at each other from one panel to the next. We need to mm-hmm. really elevate our game uh, if we're going to keep up with someone like Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts about Neil Adams? For me, his big oh, so there's obviously the creators' rights thing. He is mm-hmm. notable as I said, close your eyes and imagine a group shot. Close your eyes and imagine classic Batman. He drew it. Mm-hmm. That's what's well, combination of yeah. him and a guy named Marshall Rogers who basically oh, what he did with defined, the so amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. did, yeah, they define what Batman's going to be with the billowing cape, the long pointy mm-hmm. ears. That's like Neil like Adams. also like often gripping his cape. Yes. Yeah. And, and like pulling big, his cape move, forward, pulling it with him. Um, but and, and did, like the, the gray and blue Batman. I love yes. the like classic gray and blue mm-hmm. Batman. But yeah. The, it, the 70s so idea of Batman in comics is Neil Adams. Um, 
And then what the other thing that, oh, he and he invents Ra's al Ghul. But the other mm -hmm. thing that I think is um, notable is he is also, along with a guy named Danny O'Neill, who died, a writer who died two years ago, I want to say 2020. Yeah. It was fairly um, recent, yeah. Yeah. Um, they have a run on, officially the book is called Green Lantern, but or, but they liked the Green Arrow, so they just renamed it Green Lantern, Green Arrow. They just like started using Green wow. Arrow. And they have an art called Hard Traveling Heroes, where they have them go on a road trip. And then and they just it's it's um, showing that comics in the 70s, comics can be socially relevant. Um, and so they have a series of comics that start dealing with and this is a, this is so still Silver Age. So you're still having a lot of jokey, hokey books. And then all of a sudden they're dealing with racism. They're dealing with classism. They're dealing with um, with, you know, people getting uh, with people being unemployed, little references to the Vietnam War. And then eventually they deal with drugs. Um, after Stan Lee wrote a book to deal with drugs and Spider-Man where, you know, uh, Harry Osborne's just, you know, randomly on drugs and you don't know what they are, but the pills, the pills are making Harry crazy. Just, just and, drugs. <laughs> yeah. And it's just drugs. Drugs are bad. Um, Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill do um, a brilliant story where not a random character, um, Speedy, who's Green, Green Arrow's ward. You know, essentially his son just the ends up, he's on heroin. What? The days of wards. You, you don't <laughs> hear that term tossed around as much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's his ward. What does that mean? I don't know. Is it, yeah. He's his ward. It's, it's, yeah. He's his, his adopted son. And he's just on heroin. And he's strung out. And the cover of the book is uh, is Speedy injecting heroin into his into his arm. And it is... I mean, it was a shocking thing to see at that time, but it's essentially him proving him and Danny O'Neill proving that uh, mainstream comics, not just not just your weird, you know, underground comics, but mainstream comics can do serious things. You can tackle serious issues. And that's all because of because of um, Adams and O'Neill. Uh, Andrew, do you have any thoughts on the labs before we jump into uh, our we had mentioned all the, the creators write stuff. I just. I mean, almost by his force of personality, mm -hmm. you know, pushing that agenda forward to the point where is it? No, like you guys want to do something and what you're saying you want to do isn't isn't enough. You've really got to deal with this yeah, and, 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 and convincing people, right? Like almost mm -hmm. single single handedly, mm -hmm. you know, like going in there and and arguing and shaming them, shaming mm -hmm. publishers and shaming executives who had been making money. Um, you know, with all these characters that they didn't they didn't create, they barely bought, you know, <laughs> practically stole mm -hmm. and and shamed them into taking some sort of action, which was still not enough. But it was finally enough to to make recognition. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And uh, like nobody did more than he did for that mm -hmm. for that agenda. All right. Well, as we said, inspired by uh, for comic book fandom, like the, the news of these these passings like you, you can't visit a comic book website without tributes you know to, to these two mm -hmm. because they're so important in the history of it um we kind of decided to just kind of have this open-ended discussion about some of the comic book artists that mean something or have some significance to us uh we don't really have an order set um mav you're the guest we'll let you go first so that no one steals any of your picks uh, um, oh, um well <laughs> well we'll go through or, a rotation so we might we, we might still we might yeah. still steal yeah. um i so 
I have, I was having trouble even doing this. We, we, we were going to do the tributes for the ones that you, you said, which were, okay, well, these were easy to, because, you know, they were, um, they were recently deceased and I didn't want to just pick dead people. Like I wanted to have innovative people. Um, and there were some where I thought, well, we're for sure going to talk about a few people, but I didn't want to take, pick some obvious ones. So I'm going to start with people who are, um, I think influential to the industry influential to me as a comics reader and scholar and influential to me as an artist, you know, to the little extent that I'm a comic book artist. So um, I picked um, one of my favorites and um, <laughs> uh, who I think is, you know, a, a very, a, a very underutilized because he's very slow artist. But I think um, one of my favorite artists, comic book artists of all times is a guy named Art Adams or Arthur Adams, depending on, you know, whether he's feeling old enough to be all, you know, fancy and use his full name. Um, but Art Adams has some brilliant runs on X-Men, on Alpha Flight, on some of his own stuff. He is very good at drawing superheroes. He's very good at drawing beautiful women. He's very good at drawing monkeys, and he's very good at drawing dinosaurs. That's <laughs> And, and they're, they're, it's just things that you love when you're a kid. Um, and Art Adams is... Um, in some ways, he's the innovator of what becomes the image house style in the 90s. Like, he's not mm. one of the image artists, but Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, in some ways, they're all trying to be Art Adams. Um, and they're doing what some aspects of this are hyper real, except that Art also has an appreciation for cartooning and humor in his work. Um, so you see, uh, you see a callback to some of the golden age work of creators like, um, Matt Baker of the of Phantom Girl. So like the, the good girl artwork of 50 years before Art Adams was born. Um, I, I see in his work. So one of my favorite artists. Monkey yeah, Man O'Brien, go read it. <laughs> I've never read <laughs> it. Uh, it's one that I, I I still occasionally hear reference. Monkey Man and O'Brien. I'm like, oh, I, I need to actually go get my hands to that. And it's a story of uh, it's a story of this really strong woman, um, O'Brien, and her partner, who's the, an ape named Monkey Man. That's they they and they go and they solve crimes. Okay, That's I'm sold. The story. Uh, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> podcast episode about it <laughs> we, may, we may need to go circle back to this because i'm in based on that premise how's this not been adapted yet we have the technology to do a so good monkey good. sidekick no 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 she's the sidekick monkey man he's oh. not a he's a he's a he's a, he's a completely oh. intelligent talking ape he there's no yeah <laughs> like he's it, it, he's he's not like a monkey like a silly he's a giant ape who speaks and wears glasses oh i mean because yeah. art adams wanted to draw a monkey that's it. <laughs> it well, I mean, no okay, sense. I'm going to get my hands on this. Maybe we'll it's have you back so to come talk about this in the future, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Art Adams is one of those artists that I can usually recognize his work. Um, but mm -hmm. also, as you noted, like he's so influential. Sometimes it's like, is that him or is that someone who like really liked him? Which understand if, mm -hmm. if an artist really liked him, like. I, I get it, <laughs> uh, but but there's other artists who like have somewhat of a similar style. But some of like his X Men stuff is is like I'm happy when I come across his his X Men mm -hmm. storylines. Like oh oh yeah, look at this, this is good stuff. Um, all right, Andrew, do you want to take a pick? Yes, I will take someone that Mav actually mentioned um, in his discussion. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Jim Lee. Mm -hmm. um, Jim Lee. I think 
I don't I don't think he's typically like super well regarded as as a significant comic book artist. And I, I think he is a really significant comic book artist. Um, Jim Lee is like very much the 90s comic book look. Yeah, I think it's in part because the there's been a, uh, a somewhat of a dismissal of like 90s 90s art mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for for successes, and he was the face of the nineties. Uh, yeah, he's he, like like the nineties X Men design, the the you know multiple covers issues. Like that's all Jim Lee stuff. Like, mm-hmm. but it's really good, guys. And when you're a kid in the nineties, this looks like the coolest stuff. He, and so it's it's one of the reasons. Like Jim Lee's artwork is one of the things that made me want to read comics. I was like, is yeah. this what it looks like? These look cool. These look really awesome right these characters are they're hyper muscular they're you know all those kinds of things and and yes there's criticisms for all that sort of stuff a lot of cross hatching is gonna be but mm-hmm. I, it looks good. real cool when you know you're eight years old and and like it still looks really cool um and so i i appreciate you know jim lee stuff um when i it, like if if listeners if you don't know jim lee if you think of the like it's so ubiquitous you've seen it so many times that it seems trite but there's like the Batman standing on a gargoyle in the nighttime. And then there's (laughs) like the opposite pose Superman standing, you know, Mm -hmm. on a, on an art deco gargoyle, you know, in the sunlight, that's Jim Lee. Mm -hmm. Like he drew those two images and you've certainly seen them because they are like go-to Batman, Superman images. Or if you think of any, uh, if you think of like the nineties X-Men cartoon, any rendering of those costumes that's being licensed, it's probably Jim Lee that drew it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah um <laughs> i think of i think of his stuff kind of like as what i saw as a kid that drew me and i was like oh these look cool these characters yeah. are are big they're strong you know they're heroic they're dynamic you know all those kinds of things and 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 you know jim lee drew the the images that i think of from from being mm-hmm. a kid i also think he's really responsible for a lot of the images that were on the 90s trading cards yeah yes um, he drew and so that the, reinforces the X-Men it quite a bit for sure mm-hmm. yeah so well, those wait, x-men trading cards on, yeah i think he might have done all exclusive. Of some, some of them are liefeld some of them they're most oh, okay. the, he did a lot of them i'm i'm yeah. with the series. and and like that's how i that's how i was introduced to these characters was mm-hmm. those cards lying around the house and so like uh, like of course jim lee's like he matters to me because because his were the images that like introduced me to cyclops and and wolverine and storm like and you know all of these characters that were pretty significant to me and and got me into comic books in the first place like well, it's really jim lee heavy that era takes a lot of criticism from from a- academically and even from just modern fans for mm-hmm. you know it it can be hyper violent it can be hypersexual things got dark so it takes a lot of criticism that uh, much of which is fair However, I will say of, you know, I, I'm I read comics during there and I'm a fan of some of them. And from a purely artistic st- standpoint, as someone who went to art school, he is the most technically proficient artist from that era. And one of the most technically proficient artists who ever drew comics, like just his actual ability to do um, to do intentional line work is just absolutely amazing. So I think he absolutely should be mentioned as highly influential he's he's the first name i wrote down actually because his 90s x-men is still if i close my eyes and think of the x-men it's jim lee's 90s x-men like like i still think of cyclops in that uniform Mm -hmm. um (laughs) like even though he hasn't worn that uniform in decades at this point that's still i think i think my default batman is from batman hush Mm. yeah and then he went over to dc and did 
well, okay. So he went to Image and then he went to DC <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and did uh, some really big runs on on Batman and Superman. But his Batman Hush is probably his most most famous work for DC. And it, is he still the pub, uh, He's co-publisher? publisher for What's DC. His position? He is publisher. Yeah. Publisher of DC. Um, so so you don't see his art as much today, um, but he's still super <laughs> involved in the industry. Um, and I think that, as Mav noted, like there's a lot of the reassessment in the 90s is completely valid in the critiques um, of of the, the artistic style and also the narrative choices that were happening. Um, but I think he gets grouped into that critique and um, somewhat his, his work is maybe less well thought of because of that, uh, but, but it's more like the people who are aping his style that like just mm-hmm. kept pushing yeah. it further that are, made some of the poor or poorer choices than what Jim Lee was. I, I would still mm-hmm. defend like that. I would, all I would agree stuff. Um, but certainly there, you can point directly to some artists that I could name, but I'm not going to, because it's kind of trashing them at the moment and say, <laughs> well, people think of his stuff as like Jim Lee's and they don't like his stuff. And there's and, really and so they associate his stuff, <laughs> and and you can see that he is clearly following in Jim Lee's style. But I think it's really interesting. Also, like his style became so universal that there's some artists who broke mm-hmm. out and did their own stuff, like Chris Bacolo. Yes, um, his stuff is so unique. But I, if you read some of his earliest stuff, uh, like there's an X Men Unlimited that I really. I was reading it. I'm like, is this Jim Lee? And I went and looked at this Chris Bacolo. I'm like, this is not what I think of as Chris Bacolo stuff at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was drawing in a very, very much a Jim Lee style. Uh, and it's because that was the style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every artist wanted to draw like Jim Lee at that yeah, point. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the default 90s, early 2000s, you know, visual of comic books. All right, Andrew, great pick. Um, both of you have chosen, uh, I, th- I think, excellent choices. I'm just going to go ahead and take this one off the table right now because it's still sitting here. I'm taking Jack Kirby. Uh, <laughs> I I, I yeah. kind of felt it's like I don't need to pick him. Like we're going right. to talk about him at yeah. the very least. If, I if none of us Kirby's going to come up, and it's like, yeah, obviously yeah. Kirby. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Uh, Stanley <laughs> would call him Jack King Kirby uh, in the in the letters columns in the editorial notes. So he's often called the King. Um. His career spans the Golden Age and the Silver Age uh, and a little bit into, well, depending on where you want to say the Bronze Age. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, uh, but if you like, OK, co-creator of Captain America in the Golden Age. And then if you think of Marvel, he's the creator <laughs> of, <laughs> of the visual uh, of whatever character you're thinking of for Marvel. Uh, so uh, in for, some uh, way, except for Spider-Man, is, except for Spider-Man. Uh, but, but he still has a hand in the costume of Spider-Man. Well, um, and and like. They tried to have him do Spider-Man first. <laughs> it just didn't quite work. It didn't work. He was busy. We've mentioned yeah. Jack Kirby many times on this podcast. It is. You you, you can't describe how important he is to the, mm-hmm. the history of the comic book industry. Mm-hmm. And I want to acknowledge here that I, I think he has more resonance for me now. And I view it as a sign of maturation in that when I first came to comics in, in the 90s, and if I was looking at an issue of Wizard Magazine or something and they, and they would show a reprint of Jack Kirby art, I would say, like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, it just didn't, <laughs> didn't connect. Um, and that was my immaturity. <laughs> I'm speaking. And now I adore uh, Jack Kirby's art. I love his cosmic sublime stuff. Like, anytime uh, a character's just going out in space and encountering an alien civilization, I'm like, I am here for this. Show me mm-hmm. all your weird machines, Jack. I don't know what's going on in your head, uh, but you're drawing something that is so impossible. Or Mr. Fantastic inventing something. The way he drew machinery is just mm-hmm. a marvel. Everyone should just go Google Jack Kirby machine. And, if you ever get and a take chance, a moment. not just that. <laughs> Kirby's artwork that, you know, that was being printed 
is being reduced from these, you know, people draw comics on much larger paper than what you actually read in your hands. And the printing press quality was not great in 1965. Mm. Um, so yes, sure. Jim Lee's work looks great in 1995 and Jim Lee's great. He's using very thin lines. Um, so was Kirby and no one knew because he was just drawing stuff that they couldn't reproduce. So like if you get a chance to see them later in a private collection or a museum or something, and you get the chance to Marvel at the, or you can, even on the internet, you can see some of the exquisite pencils. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he pencils and inks. He is phenomenal of what he's what he's actually doing that just who's he drawing it for because it can't be reproduced but that's just the way that jack drew yeah and i was gonna say that exactly i remember when i the first time i saw a side-by-side comparison of a fantastic four pencil and then what it was printed as like they ruined it (laughs) that's exactly what i thought i was like (laughs) like he was shading so much on the machines were he yeah, yeah, he was just better yeah, than the I, machines. He couldn't do it. <laughs> uh, like the thing that, you know, one of, his, one of his most iconic creations and one that it seems like he had a really personal connection to, he was shading so much of the rock surface of the thing <laughs> yeah. that it was just going to become flat orange on every single one of those rocks with a, with an inked line around it. That's just what was going to happen. And when you see the original pencils, he's like, he puts so much into this. Uh, <laughs> and then not only that, uh, you know, his his importance in, in so many of the the visuals that he he created. And like there's a blocky uh, just robustness to to a Kirby character that is so unique. But then you start to look at like, wait, how many issues was he putting out for Marvel this month? Like, it's how is that? All unbelievable. Qua- it, yes. An unbelievable quantity. <laughs> yeah. At one point, like, I don't know if I, I believe it's still true. At one point, Guinness recognized him as the most published artist of all, of all time. I think they still do, because if you if you assume that every page is a. Every page that he draws is a distinct work of art. There's just like this 30 year period where he's drawing, you know, 100 pages a month. (laughs) And it is so much more like modern artists. I mean, really, since the 90s on, you're lucky if you get one one book a month out of Mm -hmm. an artist. And and some of that is Marvel 10, 15 at a time. Yeah. Yeah. It's some of that is changes in uh, expectations for what the art's going to look like. And some of Jack stuff does sometimes look rushed, but Mm -hmm. just so much was being done. I like was he living at his drawing board? <laughs> like that's all I can I can wonder. It's uh, and he's so creative and so energetic and and again like just go look up uh, like his cosmic stuff. I'm reading uh, Charles Hatfield has a book um, called Hand of Fire uh, about Jack Kirby, um, and I'm about three quarters of the way through, and he mentions like several times like his idea of, like exploring like Kirby's cosmic sublime, and I'm like oh, <laughs> it is just <laughs> so visually arresting to see mm-hmm. Kirby when he's at his peak, and and. Uh, he's one of the ones from the old days where his art was like, he did it. They made the copies for, for, for printing. And it was just garbage after that. And it oh, yeah. would be so much of his art is gone. Un- his original it, it's art. It's just gone. It was shredded. It was, or it was thrown in the back. Fan, like fan stuff. Like yeah, Marvel it was, artists. It was hand of original was, Jack Kirby art, which it was, was tens of thousands of dollars if, or more now. Uh, but Marvel yeah. was just kind of handing it out. Um, and that's yeah, part of his, his eventual feud and break with Marvel is in part about his original art, where he realized there was value in that, that, which, I mean, it was common practice because no one thought there was going to be original. All of this was considered like disposable entertainment. We're just going to move on to the next thing because that's what was the cycle of the industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But then by the time, um, you know, these these were proving to be enduring properties uh, for, for Marvel, um, all, most of his original art was gone. And that is, uh, you know, was a huge source of the, the rupture uh, that happened. Uh, all right, Mav, I think we're back to you. I'm going to step away from superheroes for a little bit um, and just do, I was, I, was, I was thinking 
probably a lot of people are going to be thinking comic books. I think superheroes. Well, I want you to think. I want you to think funny animals. And this was where um, I, I did a little bit of cheating here in that, like I was discussing who I was going to pick with my co-host on on my two shows, uh, both shows actually. Talked to the to the Vox Pop people and the Gosh Golly Wow people, and I, I was explaining that there were two ways that could have gone here. I could have gone with Carl Barks, who is probably the most notable um, Disney artist who ever lived. Um, mm-hmm. But instead, I went with Walt Kelly, who is more personally influential to me as a as like my sensibilities as an artist. Walt Kelly is the creator of a long running comic strip called Pogo. And Walt Kelly, um, in my mind, created the idea that you could do interesting and intricate satire and story with funny animals. Mm-hmm. Pogo, without Pogo, there's no Bloom County. There's no Doonesbury. There's no like political comic co- or satires. even uh, Calvin Hobbes. I'd say Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, yeah, none of this exists. Um, like the kinds of like social commentary that you get in modern um, in modern comic strips um, that become that uh, that that all starts with him in in a way and i find him to be massively influential because pogo the character is silly and goofy and then you compare that to these ridiculously intricate scenarios that pogo is dropped into um absolutely brilliant work um and the and I mean, it, it was canceled in 1975. Well, he died in like 73 and they kept it going for a little bit. But like, if you want to think of something, a more modern thing, probably maybe some of your listeners have heard of or read Bone. Bone is mm-hmm. very, okay, you're very, stealing my very, thunder. That was my next no. pick. Oh, was sorry. Just well, Smith. All right. Well, let's blend it. Well, go ahead yeah. and blend it in. Blend into it because, yeah, because yeah, Pogo leads directly mm-hmm. into that. Oh, yeah. There's some of these artists that you can... Uh, see like who their lineage was if you're looking backwards or you know who who their descendants are if you're looking forward and there is a definitely a line i think between um kelly and and smith um so yeah, yeah just smith's bone uh was one i was going to mention uh, that is very special to me because um i love comics my kids have not none of them have really resonated with superhero comics but my three oldest i have handed a thousand page book and said read this and it's just Smith's bone and they do okay <laughs> and, and they devour the whole thing uh and they they love it and there is something that is just so um i, I think deceptively simplistic in jeff smith's clean mm-hmm. art style and mm-hmm. uh, like the 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 pleasantness of the character design of the bone characters that seems so simple that you you almost want to like downgrade it but then you like stop to think about it you're like oh this is this is like this is the where it circles back and becomes pure genius <laughs> to, to make it that pleasingly simple uh look to these uh and jess smith is one of those examples of the the writer artist um mm-hmm. that we mentioned you know maybe some of these are gonna be doing both uh but i can definitely still grab bone and just like flip to a page and say look at the shadow work that he does in this look at how he uh you know builds this world and presents it to the reader in a way that captivates young readers and i i think that is a, a true talent and a gift to the world if if your your art compels you know a, a, a six seven eight nine ten year old to read over a thousand pages of of one story so uh too. You're, you're doing something great <laughs> i think smith's amazing because like all the characters in bone look identical except they don't you can tell them apart mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't know. I, and I, I know that sentence didn't make any sense, but that's how I, I mean, yeah, you know the bone characters apart. Yep. I don't know how. You just do. <laughs> and I mean, sadly for at least, uh, I mean, it's one of the best-selling graphic novels of all time, I think, because of its relationship with Scholastic and the book fairs. It's got to be up there. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't have the stats. Uh, so I think it is very well known uh, and, and has been for years. But there, uh, yet again, a movie adaptation of it was canceled. <laughs> um, Netflix recently announced that they weren't moving forward with the movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Smith drew and uh, released oh, on, yeah. on his social media. I was going to ask uh, if you were going to talk about the comic strip he drew. Yeah, of, uh, of I think, was it? I can't remember what it was, but it was the Charlie Brown with the football being pulled away. But but he did with <laughs> with, with bone characters, and he's like it, like yeah. Nickelodeon holding it out. It's like, yeah, we'll we'll make a, an adaptation this time. And then he, he gets to Netflix, and then someone else, like, and then Netflix. They're really gonna yeah. do it this time. They're really gonna do it. I, I believe. I believe. And then it gets pulled away again. <laughs> I think whoever actually does it is gonna have a hit on their hands whenever Bone does, because it's so cartoon ready for for adaptation. Yeah, um, I mean. They're just storyboards. It, it, you could just, well, it, it'd be really hard to animate because it is, it is deceptively intricate. But, um, you know, like, again, I kind of, I wonder if your kids would like Pogo. Show them both. But, 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 but yeah, I think Bone, it, it, it's begging to be a cartoon. Mm-hmm. But I don't, but I, I, I hope when it's done, it's done right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, on Kelly, just I want to note, I just finished reading a book by Carrie Soper about, uh, Gary Larson and the far side. And, uh, he, he points to Pogo as like, what are the, like, if this hadn't been in the comic book page, far side never would have been in the comic book page, not because of the art style at all. They're, they're mm-hmm. diametrically opposed there. So, but in terms of, uh, saying like there's space in the comic book page for more, <laughs> you know, more mature, uh, or, or, uh, you know, more satire, you know, all these things that is something that Gary Larson is going to be playing with, uh, pretty extensively in the, in the far side. Um, and so, uh, so much of, of the comic book, like newspaper comic strips uh somehow i feel like pogo is somewhat forgotten uh like mm-hmm. if you pulled modern uh readers a fairly small percentage would, would even know what pogo is but for people who study like the, the newspaper comic strips he's one of the greats he's one of the giants mm-hmm. all right andrew i just kind of rolled jeff smith in so yeah <laughs> who do you um, want to talk about i I'm going to go, we've been talking about some, some writer artists and I'm going to go with Gene Lu and the Yang. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's probably more known as, as a writer than an artist, but we, we've talked about his stuff multiple times. You've had him on as a guest um, mm-hmm. on the podcast. His stuff is so smart. He, he gets to the point and he communicates that so effectively um, with with the stories that he's telling, Boxers and Saints and, and American Born Chinese, I, I think in particular. Um, he's Those are just the ones so that good. he drew and wrote. Um, yeah. Some of his other famous stuff he 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 wrote, but um, didn't draw. But he just released Dragon Hoops, which he also did draw and write as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so effective. Um, even like American Born Chinese and, and Boxers and Saints, I would not say are you know, extremely complex in their art, but he uses it as effectively as you possibly could. Right. Like those stories would not be better with any other art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Like uh, it, it, it's not having the, uh, you know, the complex line work of a Jim Lee <laughs> that we've mentioned, mm-hmm. or even like the, uh, 
the aesthetically like uh, uh, the aesthetic sweetness of a Jeff Smith or or a Kelly, um, and yet it's it's right for those stories. Um, it, it's what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a class on Jean Luen Yang. Uh, oh, cool! The next semester, uh, in an American authors uh, course, where you can kind of rotate what author is going to be discussed, and I was able uh, to to pitch teaching one on Jean Liu and Yang, and uh, and so oh, so the, it's, some... he's the he's the only author. It's not American yeah, authors. It's it's American an American author that yeah. is. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Um. So I've I've taught uh or, or I, like I know like Boxers and Saints is in the rotation. Uh, being taught here in American Born Chinese has been taught a few times at my university. Uh, but this is the first time I get to do a or there will be a class on him as as the author. That's um, cool. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that and digging into a, a lot of his stuff. I've got to you know design the course still over the summer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I know it's happening. <laughs> Um, all right, uh, Mav, uh, I think we probably maybe one more pick each and then just a lightning round of throwing out some of the names that maybe we could have talked Ooh. about, but we're not going okay. to. Okay, if I'm doing one more pick, I, um, I'm going to audible from where I was going to go. Oh, <sighs> torn between two of them. All right, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Bruce Tim, who is mostly known as the lead animator for Batman, the animated series and all the related uh, comics that yeah. came or movies. We just recorded an episode about that. that. Yeah. Uh, this one's going to drop first though. So listeners, okay. just know if you're interested in discussion of Bruce, Tim, there's more yeah. coming. Bruce, Tim, and he, and he draws comics as well, but he's, uh, but he, um, there are many artists who do this thing that I like to call the art deco noir style. Frank Miller's in there. Mike Mignola's in there. Um, to me, to my sensibilities, Bruce Tim is the master of this. It is um, striking and dynamic, but deceptively simplistic. And just like the, you know, the chiseled jaw that um, that he draws Batman with is just so distinctive. And I think um, um, we talked about the way Neil Adams draws Batman. I, to me, Bruce Timm's version of of Batman, Harley Quinn, Joker, they're all just so distinctive. So I, I don't want to go too much. If you've got a whole episode that's going on, I, I won't go too much into them. But um, <laughs> one of my favorite artists. Yeah, and I one that I is so... Like, like, if you see Bruce Timm art, you just know it's Bruce Timm. Something about... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm the the way he draws the angles on these straight lines like so much of it does feel like straight lines it's not but it feels like straight lines when you when you look at it, it. Is, yeah it's very it is very much uh it is very much trying to do there's an abstraction to it that tries to be art deco and gothic and not um not comic book art almost it's a mm-hmm. it, it is it is it is deceptively cool and it and it is a style that i think other people are trying to copy and some people are just you know sort of in that influential you know realm like i don't think frank miller's trying to draw like like bruce uh, tim i just see some similarities but i i think tim is just the master of trying to do this sort of thing all right uh andrew do you want to give your last pick oh that's really hard i'm fighting between two things to talk about and I don't know which way to go. Well, we'll have a lightning round so you can acknowledge whichever one you don't pick. Uh, <laughs> you know, OK. All right. In, in that case, um, I'm going to talk about a uh, manga creator um, who, we've, who we've talked about on the show. Uh, Hiromu Arakawa was the creator of Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, OK. And she is 
fantastic. Um, Full Metal Alchemist is one of the the best manga series ever published. <laughs> like, I think it's it's if the, if there's a canon for manga, Full Metal Alchemist is in the it like the first chapters of describing that canon. Like, you've got to talk about how big an impact it has, and for something that was you know started, published, completed, which is not always the case with manga, <laughs> like. Some manga are are you know over over seventy volumes easily, and Full Malakos is is twenty seven tight volumes, <laughs> and um, it's so moody. It has you know a tone that that is evoked by the art, um, and and manga is typically published in black and white, and the way black and white is used in Full Metal Alchemist is is different from a lot of the other ones. Um, mm-hmm the style, the, the tone, the tone of the tone of the content matches the, the moodiness of the shadows and the shading. Um, it's been adapted into anime twice. You know, it's just, <laughs> and wasn't there a live action floating around in there too? There is. And they're, they're going to do, I think two more films um, as part of that live action. Um, but it's, I mean, super influential on, on, on me personally for, for my consumption of, of anime and manga and comic books. Um, and she just, she knew what she was doing and she nailed it and everyone respects it completely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those iconic kind of works that everyone says like, yeah, like this one's, this one's in like the special class. You could talk about favorites. You don't even have to talk about this as being your favorite because everyone respects it so much. Um, yeah. And, and that's a and, weird blind spot for me. I've never read it. I know you're right. Like I literally, I, it's, it's famous enough and notable enough and I've seen mm-hmm. it. So I know you're right. Having not read it, but it's one of those weird, you know, we all have these like, Hey, yeah. you know, oddly enough, I've never, I've, I've never read film. <laughs> I, yeah. I should. My, my go to is I've never actually seen Titanic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I know the whole story. I've never seen it. <laughs> um, oh, we did that. All right, you were on a special episode where we, we played with that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had to cast it, right? Okay, you know that story then. Yeah. Um, yeah it's like... <laughs> but yeah, so for for me, Full Metal Alchemist, it, it just stands out. And, and Hiromu Arakawa as as the creator, right? Being the, the writer and the mm-hmm. artist on something that has such an impact. And, and it's such a, like a stick with me impact. I've consumed it multiple times which i don't go back to you know long runs of, of comic books and anime or, or manga very often um but it just sticks with me and and um and i love her her personal story which is she's like a farm kid she she's from you know the rural part of japan and dreamed of being a, a manga creator and but she worked on the farm she you know went to school and everything and as she finished high school she made an agreement with her parents that she would stay on the farm for seven more years and, wow, and go into town and do oil painting <laughs> lessons and, and do art art classes on a regular basis. But she had to stay on the farm for a while. And then she went to Tokyo and became a manga artist and, you know, created her stuff and, um, and just, you know, without being the most prolific somehow has become, you know, more iconic than, than artists who have, who have done, five times 10 times as many you know as as many chapters in their stories yeah all right uh my last pick for an artist that means something to me and i've enjoyed all these and i think for most of them i've i you know i could say that could be on my list but this one i'm choosing um because of that personal connection 
um, sort of like Mav, you mentioned that you'd met George Perez in doing comic studies. I've been able to interview some people at comic cons. I've met some of these people. Um, but one of the first ones that I met like, and, and had like real conversations with was David Peterson from mouse guard who writes and draws okay. mouse guard. Um, because when I was doing grad school work at Michigan state, uh, he is local to East Lansing. Um, and we were setting up, uh, a comics forum at Michigan state where the goal was going to be to bring in someone notable. And he was one of the first ones we reached out to knowing he was, he was local and, and he immediately said yes. And he gave such a great keynote address. And then when we started this podcast, uh, very early on before we knew what we were doing, I reached out to him and said, Hey, I'm starting a podcast. Would you be a guest? He's like, sure. <laughs> and he hopped on. He's, he's in one of our very first episodes uh, where we, we talked about mouse guard, incredibly nice person, which makes me like his stuff even more. Right. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you, when you find out uh, that these are actually, you know, the, the, the good people that are, that are doing this, it, it makes you love their art even more instead of having to like, Oh, I've got to separate the art from the artist. Cause I liked that. And then I found out X, Y, or Z about this person with David Peterson. It's like, he is just, a charming delight every time I've had any chance to talk with him. Uh, and I really like his art style for mouse guard. And I also really love the fact that he was able to push for a different sized comic book um, that he, yeah. he made a square comic book, which no publisher wants to do anything other than the standard comic book size. Uh, and he's like, no, I want to, I want to do it this way. And his art style is so perfect for the nature in the background that you get. Uh, and the, the, the way that he's going to, um, build the world of mouse guard and uh you know all, all the trees and the grass and everything that they're inhabiting it just looks right and if you follow him on any social media he will also post things like he builds um like when he's trying to figure out a mouse city he will build a scale model of a mouse city so that he can see all the different angles and where <laughs> where things have to huh. be joined right uh be- before he's going to draw the, the mouse city and it's like oh he's like dedicated and he's also an amazing 3d craftsman and he uses that to inform the comic book art that he's creating in mouse guard. So David Peterson uh, is, is my, my last pick for this. Um, all right. I know we all had extra names, so we, we can't take as long as we have been taking <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. talk about each one of these extra names. Uh, but Mav, do you want to tell us some of the other names that you had kind of thrown out there as, as yeah. options that you could, you could, uh, that you could I, go wax the about chose... for five minutes? Yeah, the reason I, I went with Tim at the end was because I was like, I wanted to talk more about him. But some other names that just these are names that people will find if they if they just look up and you'll find a lot of stuff about them. Um, I, I would I would say Scott McCloud, of course, who mm-hmm. has been mentioned and he's just um, as an artist, he just he academically defines how comic book art works now. And, you know, we just all cite him all the time. Um, will Eisner the father of sequential art right. <laughs> i would absolutely name. like the award is named after him now like yes. if you're doing great <laughs> yes. sequential art it is called an eisner <laughs> yes the industry's oscar is named after will eisner because that's how important he is um i wanted to point out this is again talking with my co-host everybody's like um uh hannah who you've you guys have met she's like oh you mm-hmm. don't have any women on your list and i was like yeah because the comic book industry has not been kind to women um yeah. which is sort of no yeah getting better <laughs> But just of recent people, Raina Telgemeier, um, Indy Stevenson, who used to be Noel Stevenson, they transitioned into a non-binary person last year, I think. Um, but known for Lumberjanes, uh, these are people who I who I find very influential. And then on just a very personal note, I wanted to say John Busima, who is known for many things and a longtime Marvel artist, but he wrote a book 
with Stan Lee called How to Draw Comics the Marvel Way that taught mm. me how to draw. And every kid who wanted to be a comic book artist in the 80s taught us how to draw. <laughs> um, it oh, is, still, it, I uh, still see it referenced today. Like, yes, there's a, like maybe is. the style is a little outdated, but in terms of understanding mm-hmm. the layout and uh, how, yes. to, how to do different angles for characters, there's nothing better still to this and day. If, and if you look at if you look at, at John Buscema's artwork, you'll look at it and you'll say, oh, I see what John Romita Sr. is doing and John Romita <laughs> Jr. and John Byrne. <laughs> And Ron Friends, and even Steve Ditko. You're like, oh, they're all doing this thing, which is sort of a inspired by Kirby kind of house style. And John Buscema, for my mind. Oh, and also his brother Sal. Uh, <laughs> they were like, they were all these. All these guys were doing the same style. And there's differences. You can t- I can tell them apart if you're enough of a comic book yeah. fan. But uh, but like I found him interesting. That's who I was going to say because of just like uh, the the contribution to the craft. I would say. Uh, Busima and the other Marvel House artists. Yeah, two two of my kids have like they they like writing and drawing like really. I mean, it just just you know grade school comic book stuff. But because they're into doing that kind of stuff, I got them how to draw comics the Marvel way, just so they can start seeing these ideas. <laughs> I know they're not going to suddenly turn around and be drawing like that, but just to start being able to think about that. There's um, a whole chapter on mixing ink in order to um in order to color. Is it, it's completely outdated. No one's done this in like two decades. But, yeah. but, but it's so great to read it. Uh-huh. Um, you had mentioned uh, women artists and uh, uh, a couple that I had put down. Uh, Fiona Staples and Alison Bechdel. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like Alison Bechdel is one that I have not read much of her stuff, but she's also such a presence when you start talking about mm-hmm. feminism and comics. Um, like I can't read a. Uh, chapter that's going to address women in comics in an ac- academic text that will not reference Alison Bechdel. Um, you just kind of have to. <laughs> she, it's kind of like Scott McCloud, right? You know, mm-hmm. the presence is just there uh, and so large in the in the industry. Um, Andrew, do you have any other names uh, before we are going to? Um, yes, I've got a, a couple that I wanted to talk about. I for one of them, it was actually almost talking about a a, a style that I feel like these three share to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. And it's uh, uh, Bachelo, which, which you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Scotty Young and Umberto Ramos. Ramos. Uh, yeah. They, they have some sort of vibe that's similar to each other and different from everybody else. Yeah. Super distinct, but also, yeah, I get what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, it's, it is nothing like a Jim Lee. It is nothing mm-hmm. like, you know, anybody else that we've talked about, basically. And they're kind of not really similar to each other, but more similar to each other than to the others. I see that we're going to try to describe it for our listeners who know nothing about this. Spindly arms. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like exaggerated (laughs) angles on everything. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, Like big heads, big hands. Mm hmm. And and like for me, it's like Scotty Young is like, heading towards like almost uh like cartoon layout mm-hmm. but but it's not it's rougher like it's so loose yeah uh, and everything uh, oh i i adore scotty young's like when he when he posts like little sketches mm-hmm. in in his sketchy style mm-hmm. it is just amazing and it's one of those where like i know this is so much harder than it looks because it looks quick and easy and i know it must not be uh mm-hmm. or everyone be drawing like this because it is I don't adorable. know how his stuff is in on every adorable. licensed, you know. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's like this adorable look uh, to it. It should be licensed everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I would love because because we've talked about um, 
I think we've talked about his his Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's um, the one we talked about. And I have like a dream of of having a house and doing, you know, a, a mural wall where you're putting the bigger version of some piece of artwork. And it would be probably something from Scotty Young's Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. You know, because Instead it just of, he, he you know, started it, writing. Like, I want I want less. a daughter to grow up with that on her yeah. wall. Yeah, <laughs> he start he started writing more and drawing less, which I completely understand uh, mm-hmm. why someone who can do both would end but I up miss it. choosing more. But yeah, I, I miss I miss his stuff. I still remember he was doing for a while. He would do like a, a warm up sketch of the day that he would then sell. Mm. Um, and I, I it was triple figures uh, at least. And oh, I yeah. was always like, oh, I wish I could have one of those. And I remember he did one of Jaws tearing away R two D two that is still like stuck in my head as like. I, I want him to draw all the Star Wars characters because of how he drew those Jawas lifting up R2-D2. <laughs> um, the other person who was on my my five list was Jim Chung, mm-hmm. particularly because of Young Avengers, which is mm-hmm. a, a significant comic book series in to to me. Yeah. Um, and 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 I met him once at a, a Comic Con, and his stuff was shockingly affordable considering the prominence that he had in my mind. <laughs> You know, seeing him in Artist Alley and he was just in like a regular Artist Alley style. It wasn't even like the actual creators, the end cap or, you know. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing right here? Like, this is not prominent enough for you. Um, (laughs) And um, but I, you know, I got to talk to him about, you know, how much Young Avengers had meant to me. And I, I, you know, bought two things and he signed them. I was like, this is great. These are, you know, the the kinds of images that I think of for him. I had a couple other names that that I thought was like, okay, we should probably like bring up Frank quietly. We should probably mm-hmm. bring up Darwin Cook. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Minola. Darwin Cook actually kind of goes with, I mean, it's different, but it, it's like somewhere between that Scotty Young group you mentioned and the mm-hmm. Bruce Tim is Darwin Cook. Like in yeah. between yeah, those. The, yeah, that art deco <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, there, and like, I mean, there's a sliding, I mean, I, I made up the schools that I was using in order to like make this be something that I could do because I've said on your show before, I am notoriously bad at making lists of everything. By the time you post this episode, I'm going to listen to, listen to it and go, what was I thinking? How did Why I- Why didn't I talk about these other people? Yeah. <laughs> So, but so like I've, I've got, you know, so in, in fact, one of my rules that I gave myself was who do I think of as influential to where I can look and say, all right, I see other people are trying to do the Art Adams thing. I see other people mm-hmm. are trying to do the Bruce Tim thing. And this made me immediately reject um, Bill Sienkiewicz, one of my favorite comic book artists oh, yeah. ever, because no one else on the planet is or ever will be Bill Sienkiewicz. It is like he's a singular talent, and therefore, and therefore, I decided he's not influential because nobody else can do that. <laughs> so that was my rule. Have you ever seen so, when he posts his fine art commissions? Where I'm mm-hmm. sure he's getting paid more than he would be on a page rate of doing a comic book, where he yeah. like does a full oil painting for someone, and it's just like, oh my goodness. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's literally. I mean, he's literally just uh, an unbelievable, unbelievable um, talent. Barry Windsor Smith, another one. There's a there's a lot of singular amazing. So I, I'm sure it was a, uh, you know, some some uh, intern that was managing his special or his, his social media. But one time he sent me a happy birthday message. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how that happened. <laughs> but you'll take it. Yep. <laughs> like I follow him on Facebook to see all his art that he posts because he posts amazing art. It is so good and. Uh, he friended me back, and one time I got a happy birthday message from Bill Sienkiewicz. Like, oh, All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Again, I've got, I'm sure I, it was an intern. A couple names 
again, just to like have them out there, uh, Mark Bagley, uh, Steranko, Kane, Ditko, and Simonson. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, some significant notable names, even if they're not like the, yeah. the ones we wanted to talk about. And then because you brought up um, female artists, I did want to talk about um, Amy Reader, who was the artist for Rocket Girl, which is a series I loved the art for. Um, it was a, a little indie series. It's like 10 or 12 issues. But I every issue had something that I was sure I'd never seen an artist even try before. Um, something about like an angle or, you know, the way to look into it, the the way to, you know, pose a character or something. Um, I have seen this like like thick lines and um, not not like the most distinctive style, but (laughs) something where it's like, hey, this doesn't feel quite like anything else. Um, So so Rocket Girl and Amy Reader um, for for a female creator in particular, I, I would say, like, if I saw that she was doing a superhero comic, I would probably make a point of of seeking uh, it out did did i fanboy talk about this one i think they did a little bit but maybe okay. not a ton i think maybe i heard them before. talk about it and i looked it up and because i'm recognizing this art but i know i never read it yeah i didn't read this either but i think i should look it looks I, it's very good all right so we're gonna I, i'm gonna need one or both of you to join me to talk about rocket girl and also that uh monkey man and o'brien <laughs> was it yeah <laughs> yeah I, those it's are now on my two so piles. Just, like, just uh, uh, of course, either, both. Yeah, why not? <laughs> what, right. This is what I do for a living. I don't. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'll talk about a comic for an hour. Sure, yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, the the artist that I had that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, let's see. I think we mentioned that. I mentioned that. Uh, Mike Allred uh, hasn't been mentioned, and he's I another he one come up. that I view as like a sign of my maturation. That the first time I saw his art, I didn't like it, and I want to know what I was thinking at the time because uh, <laughs> it has grown on I... me so much. It is so clean and. Uh, so distinct from everything else that is happening in, in comic books. Uh, it is one of those, like just iconically instantly you look at it, you're like, Oh my God, I already drew that. Mm-hmm. And it's so good. I have not, I have not yet gotten to the point where I say, Oh, the, I, I like it. It feels comfortable, but I recognize it. And like, I see it and I just, I don't know what it is that it throws me off. Like it's almost like an uncanny Valley thing that I haven't gotten mm-hmm. over. Um, no, I, it's well, like it's for me, something about it's different in a way that my brain hasn't quite accepted. All right, Matt, do you remember when in the was it the late 90s that Marvel did like uh, a revolution of their X-Men titles and they transformed X-Force into Ecstatics? Ecstatics is Ecstatics is actually, I want to say, was it early 2000s? probably 2010. I'm going to oh, pull it up. Let's see. We're checking the recesses of our mind. Oh, it looks like yeah. 2002. A split difference between Ooh. what you said and I said. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Earlier than I thought, yeah. Early, but I remember but yeah, it was, um... without kind of warning, they transformed X-Force, which I had been reading, into this Mike Allred. I, I think he wrote, or no, uh, Milligan was the writer, uh, but Mike mm-hmm. Allred was the artist. And it was so different because it had been in that 90s style. Like it, uh, the whole time X-Force was, was being published, it was artists trying to be Jim Lee for <laughs> who were drawing yeah. uh, X-Force. And then... All of a sudden, from one issue to the next, it was a new team up, and it was Mike Allred's art, which is so different mm-hmm. <laughs> from and what they, I've been they, reading. Don't they kill the original team in the first in the first issue? I mean, I, they turn out to not I be think dead. So, but, like, but I think I, I like read it. I'm like, I don't like this, and I part of it was like, I don't like this art. That was the first. I know that's the first time I saw Mike Allred's art. Yeah, because um, there and, yeah, think, and it really was just one issue to the next. They're just like, yeah, we're done with this, and it's a brand new. We're doing both new direction, whole new team, different storyline, completely unrelated to the X Men. And eventually they renamed it Ecstatics instead of X-Force. But at first it is just, it was still being published as X-Force. And mm-hmm. I think 
I had a negative reaction to that transition because it was so abrupt and and the art style. I just I think I rejected it then, and I had a bad taste in my mouth because uh, I I'd been following the X Force team the, the whole run, um, and uh, I, I, I I'm not sure when it was. It, it was maybe that when he was doing uh, Silver Surfer a few years ago, where I'm finally like. Actually, mm, I really get it run. now. I, I really like it. <laughs> um, uh, he's known for so Madman. Is is a, yeah. Is his yeah. Thing. But yeah, the Silver Surfer thing is also very good. Yeah, yeah. Where I was finally like, okay, I get it, Mike Allred. This is pretty amazing <laughs> uh, at this point. Uh, all right, sorry. I was also going to say Ryan Stegman. Um, he's another one that I I've met in person at that uh, MSU Comics Forum because he's an MSU graduate, uh, and his stuff uh, at the time I was like, this is really impressive. Uh, it was like just before he was going big for Marvel. Uh, and then, like the next year, it was like, "Oh, he's made it now." <laughs> like the prices at his table were just different <laughs> from one year to the next. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, mention, mention. Oh, uh, we I don't, we haven't gone in depth on John Byrne. I just want to say John Byrne's stuff is uh, really formative uh, for superhero mm-hmm. storytelling, uh, yeah. and and acknowledge that. And the other one that is just different uh, from everything that we've described is Alex Ross. I know some people don't like it, uh, but his painterly style um, it, it's an effort to um, I don't know. It's probably not the right word to say elevate, but to do something distinctive uh, from everything else that you see where he, he paints in kind of a fine art style and the way that he draws and then paints like the golden age Superman mm-hmm. is just beautiful. <laughs> um, I don't think his, his style works for everything uh, that I've seen him do, uh, but every mm-hmm. once in a while he draws something and I'm like, Oh, that is kind of perfect. <laughs> that that version right exhibit there. out here. He had an uh-huh. art exhibit at our, our, we have an Andy, we have an Andy Warhol museum. Um, it's, you know, it's sponsored by Warhol and a lot of his works there, but they show other stuff, obviously. And they had an exhibit that of all of the, the painting of Alex Ross a few years back. That was amazing. Just to walk I'm sure seeing it in person. See it, is real close. it is amazing. Yeah. Uh, like, and you may have seen like some of the stuff does like has definitely broken out. I think like he has a painting of, of, uh, Joker that mm-hmm. I still see everywhere. And well, um, the other one that people that I think people might know is the Obama one. Mm hmm. There's a picture of Barack Obama, which is yeah striking. Um, and if you uh, like, like just Google Alex Ross and it, it the, his stuff that comes up, it is pretty amazing uh, what he's able to do. Uh, recently, I saw he did one of a uh, of Invisible Woman. Have you seen this one floating around? Where her her hand is being held in front of her, but he drew he painted her hand see through oh. with her mm-hmm. face behind her. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't think I've seen that particular move done. And certainly not with like the level of execution of like, uh, again, like kind of fine art painterliness uh, being attached to it Mm -hmm. that we're seeing, seeing in this. And I'm not trying to make a value judgment of like that, that fine art painterliness compared to the cartooniness of, uh, you know, of some of these other ones or, 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 uh, you know, the cross hatchy, you know, uh, shadowiness of a Jim Lee. Uh, They're all distinct in what they're doing, but when they're doing, when the project they're working on is right for any of these styles, it's like, I can't imagine it being anything else. And that's Mm -hmm. when all, all of these artists really sing when they, when they find that perfect match. Uh, any final thoughts on comic book artists in general or any names that you feel like we, we needed to get out there that we haven't yet? I mean, go forever. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say like, <laughs> please Mignola. don't think that this has been comprehensive. There's no, yeah, there's we no have, way to do this. We have skipped I, people. We have forgotten people. We did not people. mention Spiegelman who is like literally. Oh, I had him on my list. Somehow I skipped right over him. Yeah. Uh, I have Sorry, him no, on my list. Here. is like, a, oh, you could also talk about Spiegelman. But like, I mean, uh, I mean, this is if you've been paying attention to the world of comics this year, you have you are aware of Art Spiegelman. Mm-hmm. Spoke at the conference that Joe and I were both at uh, last month. He is awesome. <laughs> he yeah, is really cool. 
I've taught a class on on his mouse, uh, I think like eight or nine times at this point. Mm-hmm. And every time students are like, this is one of the best things I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it is another perfect example of like that, his art style telling that story is perfect. And you can't imagine it in any other way. Like it should never be adapted because it just needs to be that. What it mm-hmm. is right now <laughs> is all this story ever should be. Well, thank you, Mav, for coming on. Thank you, Andrew, for jumping in on this discussion. That is going to wrap up this episode. Listeners, thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows. You can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. Mav, is there anything you would like to plug? I know you uh, appear in every podcast every week. I'm on every podcast any... every week. Um, in particular, <laughs> in particular. Um, uh, please subscribe to both of my shows. We have... Uh, Vox Popcast, which is a weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis where of with drinking and swearing, where we talk about some pop culture issue. It's different every week. It could be a book. It could be a movie. It could be the concept of remakes. It could be anything, you know. Um, and then uh, my other show is Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow, which is a weekly um, academic analysis of the 1990s comic book Excalibur where we go through one issue at a time and we analyze every issue of Excalibur for 126 plus weeks we've got some special issues that are you know, in addition to things so I'm on those two shows every week uh, alright well I do recommend those uh, and if you do listen to the entire catalog you will hear me at least once in each of those shows <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thank you again, listeners. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. And also to a lot of individual fans. And that is, oh no, I bumped my mic. I'll let that rumble die. Okay.